welcome to another chapter of In The Keep Podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherload. This show is all about the world of first-person shooters, their legacies, their lineage, and the people who keep that world turning. It is the will of the drowned god, Cathala, that our communities band together to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. Hello, 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 everyone. I know it's really tough times out there right now. It's fucking crazy, ain't it? But please, as always, take the next hour or so to listen to this podcast and uh, let this be an escape. Don't muddle and sit around thinking about the negativity that's going on in the world all day. We have a really cool guest for you. Now, this has been a long time coming. I'm very happy to have finally gotten this done, but we've got Sergeant Mark Four on the podcast. I can't imagine a whole lot of people are tuning in who don't know who he is, but if you don't, he is the creator of Brutal Doom and several other really amazing Doom mods. I mean, he's just, his name is kind of synonymous with badass Doom mods at this point. So it only made sense to have him on the show. Now, now we're going to have two parties here. We're going to have the people who tuned in because they fucking love Brutal Doom and they you know, want to hear what he has to say. And there's going to be other people who hate Brutal Doom and want to shit on Sergeant Mark IV or whatever, or just curious. And I'm sure, you know, listeners of this show, regular listeners, you guys are really cool anyway, but it's not as binary as that, I should say, because obviously Sergeant Mark IV has a, uh, he's got a lot of controversy in his past you know, we're gonna address all of that he was very very open very honest very uh surprisingly cool about everything you know and i think all too often we i don't know we just hold things against people for too long or we try to make a mountain out of a molehill you know we take a little thing and we run with it and i think that's Oftentimes what's happened, you know, uh, not just to Sergeant Mark IV, but just to many people that we all know, love, and respect, artists. I would invite anybody here who's uh, who's skeptical or who just, you know, has that sort of sour taste in their mouth when they hear his name to just give him a chance and actually listen to what he has to say because I think it's important to give people, you know, at least give people the right to speak on their own behalf. And I think that if you do and you honestly listen to him, you will uh, probably change your mind. But if not, you know, whatever, man. Uh, We're not here to change your opinion. We're just here to talk about really awesome shit. And Brutal Doom is one of the most awesome things that I've ever experienced. I really love it. And I hope that if you haven't already checked it out, that you do. And also, we're going to dig into some of his other projects, including his upcoming game, Brutal Fate. So, without any further ado... Let's kick off some music from Andrew Holschult from the Brutal Doom soundtrack, IDKFA, and get in the keep with Sergeant Mark IV. Well, I'm Marcos, or also known as Sergio Mark IV, and I am from Brazil. I live in Sao Paulo, and that's my hometown, and that's it. So we got a lot to get into. First of all, man, I do want to know like what your early interest was in gaming. Like you, 
have like a really long storied career here in doing modding, but where did it begin for you? When did you first get that itch? Uh, well, I actually started playing games with uh, Sega Saturn, like when it came out in 95 or yeah, I think it was 95 and I, it was on the Sega Saturn where I discovered Doom, like right after the, the Saturn port came, I think 97 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, it's a bad port uh, if you compare it with like the PlayStation port, but I think um, it's still a better experience than the one on Super Nintendo, which everyone worships, and I don't know why. It's like um, it's not the worst possible. Then, I uh, but I I didn't start with the stuff with modding on Doom. It was actually with Warcraft Two when I had my first computer, hmm. which it. Um, Blizzard gave with the game, shipped with the game, uh, the same editor they used to make the, the maps, so you could use it to make the um, uh, maps on the exact same quality of the game, or, or even better maps. And that's what they repeated with StarCraft 2, then later WarCraft 3, that's where I started to make some really serious mods and publish them online, before I just just make just had fun with doing doing mods for myself, but then I, that's where I started making actual things because it was an extremely powerful editor, the, the word, word editor. Yeah. And I picked up my interest in in Doom around 2007, 2008, when um, it was like, um, yeah, right after, uh, right after I finished high school. And I was like having a really bad a really bad time on my life, which I just had finished school. I, I was planning to join the Air Force, the Brazilian Air Force, but I was rejected because there were just too many people trying to get in because it's like actually like a, an easy job, technically speaking, an easy job because you, you're never going to war, like the Brazilian Army never goes to war, so you get a military carrier in Redon, so there's a lot of people trying to get there. I just had no idea for what to do to my life, so I was having a bad time. I started back like playing old games, like um, like um, besides Doom, I started, I I think it was the first time I, I really gave a playthrough of Final Fantasy VII. I was like give like in a, some kind of recessive state, trying to get back to my childhood and play the, the games I was a kid or games I couldn't play as a kid because I didn't have a PlayStation. Like was the case of. Uh, Final Fantasy VII. Then I stumbled into Doom modding. The first modded experience I had with Doom was with a mod called Z Blood Pack, yeah. which it's um, it's a very old um, uh, wad. It was a 32 level megawatts with really uh, lazy maps, like uh, like they were even look 90s for the, their time. But when I saw that, I absolutely love it. So I'm like, oh, look at the whole much stuff you can you can do with Dune. You, like it was a pack of maps with monsters from Heretic and Hexen, and seeing all that thing like 30, 40 weapons, like weapons ripped from Counter Strike, like straight. Sprite of, of the guns from Counter Strike, it was literally exploded my mind. Like, oh, this is what you, you can do in Dune, you can like add all this stuff. Then immediately, I started looking for tutorials and and I I downloaded uh, the first Doom Builder, it was not even GZ Doom Builder or Doom Builder 2, it was still 
the first Doom Builder because my computer back then was really bad, couldn't even run Doom Builder 2, besides the fact that it already existed. And I started making my first mod, Armageddon, which, uh, well, it, didn't, it was not a really good mod, but it was my first one, like, uh, I was learning, it was literally just, I, was, I didn't even learn how to properly draw a wall or a door. I just, just, oh, this is how you make sectors, you rise this, you make a square here, and you raise this, oh, this is a building for a city, and... I was just learning as I was making the whole thing. And yeah, and I guess that's it. And then in 2009, when I reached a point when I said, by the late 2009, I said, no, this is not going anywhere. I should start something smaller. There was this trend of making small gameplay mods where you, you just make a, a mod to make the gameplay of Doom better. There was Beautiful Doom and Polished School yeah. and other mods of this kind. I was, well, I'm going to give a try on this. Let's make a gore mod. Then I kept adding things, adding things, and that's what uh, Brutal Doom became. So let's just back it up a little bit. So you got into modding pretty young, but did you grow up in like a pretty tech savvy household that were your parents uh, into computers or did you just kind of pick that up on your own? Um, no, no, no. Like um, it was not a really tech heavy. Like uh, we're poor people. Like, but the first time we could afford a computer was 2002 and yep. it was like an extremely old pension. It was a pension two, 400 megahertz, which was like a, at least six or seven year old machine, like it's and it was like my past time when I had um, at some point uh, I was like um, by that 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 by that time I still had my Sega Saturn. I still didn't had a, I never had a, a sixth generation console. I just had my Sega Saturn and my computer. And as you know, the Sega Saturn has like 120 games. That, yeah, I had played pretty much everything that that console had to offer, and my computer was old, and I could um, not download like more modern games. The most, I, it was a computer so old it could not even run Quake Three. I yeah. the most advanced game it could run was Quake Two, and that's it. Um, so I was playing like I was playing. I was it was two thousand two, two thousand four, and I was. Diving myself into games from the nineties like Duke Nukem 3D and Warcraft, Starcraft, and games like that, and eventually Warcraft 3, which I played the, the entire game at like five frames per second, ten frames per second. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I played that, and this game, especially the the these early Blizzard games, Warcraft, Starcraft. They had such interesting modding tools. At some point, I enjoyed more making mods for these games than actually playing games. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Were you always like sort of a technical, like art, artsy kind of kid? Did you enjoy like building things and changing things and figuring out how stuff worked? Or yes, yes. When I was a kid, like I really enjoyed drawing and yeah. anything related to arts and. I was like I was so into drawing and when I was a kid that I had discussions with the the arts teacher. There was like um there, I remember there was a, a time and which uh, we were like uh, drawing paintings. That I uh, drawing you know just you know when they they give you like a drawing and they ask you to to color it to call yeah. just paint it. 
I think it was in the fourth grade, third grade. I think it was the third grade. I had an argument with the teacher because I, I always liked uh, using cold colors, saturated colors, and the teacher uh, gave me uh, a bad, a bad, uh, a bad score for for that work because I was not putting enough effort on it. I and she showed me like a one which the, another student had uh, done with very strong. I was really forcing the pencil over the over over it to get strong colors. And we had an argument, but you're not. Uh, I talked to my teacher. You're not respecting my art style. I like pastel colors. I like a cold art style. And you're judging me. You're giving me bad grade because you simply uh, don't understand. You're a teacher. You went to the art school, and you don't understand what is cold colors. What is a pastel uh, a pastel uh, tone map? And I was like that much into this kind of stuff. I, there was I used to play like uh, when we. We had like free time. There was like a uh, a teacher was not there was no um, no teachers. It was you know when when the teacher for this uh, for this day doesn't come and we need to wait for the next teacher. I would like draw uh, uh, some kind of um, a board game in, in my like we would get a piece of paper and draw and draw some, like a a chessboard. So, but a huge board, and we would literally play uh, Warcraft. Like I would be like drawing. I would find a friend, and we'll like start playing uh, Warcraft on the paper, on a piece of paper. We would like build our bases and harvest resources, and attack. we we had matches that lasted literally weeks. <laughs> we I went on drawing each each unit, and then like like a fourth man could walk for four squares. Then each one had a turn. We had like a turn-based Warcraft. I did on a piece of paper, and we played this all the time. It was like since I was a child, I always wanted to make video games. I think it was always in my blood making stuff. Yeah, that's. that's I'm glad I asked that question because that that really says. More than I think, you know, some people would even think to ask because when you when you really get into someone's psychology, like the fact that you already had that eye for aesthetic and art as a young person, it really speaks to what you do now, man. Mm-hmm. So let's just dig into it. Uh, how old were you when Brutal Doom came out? Well, it was two thousand. The first version was two thousand nine. I was eighteen. Mm-hmm. Now I am twenty nine. Yeah, it has been ten years. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So you're 18 years old and you make what would become like this kind of earth shattering mod like this literally kind of shook up the whole world in a way as far as doom goes. And so I like to tell the story of, you know, people always, you know, argue between the the original, you know, unfiltered doom and then, you know, the doom post brutal doom when you really showed the everyone what could be done with this engine with the GZ doom engine and everything. And I tell the story all the time of how I, I went home to visit my family a while back. It was a couple of years ago. And I, my younger brother, he, you know, he's not really a computer savvy kid or anything, but I showed him brutal doom on my computer, like on a laptop. And he fell in love with it. Like he just absolutely, you know, because you, you see vanilla doom and you see like, uh, it's not all that appealing to someone who's played something like call of duty. You know, it, I think it's awesome, but I understand why kids are just frustrated. Like I can't aim up and down. It looks ridiculous. And then you bring them this incredible experience like that. You can bring doom to a whole new generation with the, yeah, uh, 
just, just a heads up, I did not invent looking up and down. That's no, from... no, no, no. We know uh, that. We know that. <laughs> just a clarification. Uh, yeah, but I mean, like, I that's one of the things I enjoyed, like, enjoying Brutal. Uh, it's like because I make a, a Doom um, a better version of Doom that I want to play. I play right. it all the time with my friends and and like some some like Doom is all about shooting things and like the most part of it is shooting things and whatever you can do to improve the, sh the shooting experience of Doom, you're improving Doom itself. You go adding better sound effects because they had this, all these limitations back in the day. You don't have. Uh, limitations with sound formats you can increase decrease the zoom of the the camera or or the fact you can look up and down you can add recoil to weapons there are methods of modernizing doom making it like a more modern game without necessarily changing the graphics or the feel or the looks of anything yeah it's really cool how that all kind of came together for you so you you released this thing uh the earliest versions in 2009 and then you when did you start really kind of feeling the feedback of it? I think the mod really when the mod like um well actually a feedback existed in the very first day I released it like I released it in the old school tag forums and the first night somebody already made a server with it and I saw people already playing it and it's like um but when I think the mod really exploded when it, when people start really talking about it. When it was around 2011, when the guy that was the head, the creative director of ED Software, I think it was Meta Hooper. Yeah, it's Meta Hooper. He he like uh, made a tweet saying like, "Hey guys, if you have never checked the Brutal Doom, you should. It's like really cool." I was like, "Holy shit! Somebody from ID Software played my mod. Yeah. That's huge." Then I think that was the first time I felt the, the real feedback of it. You said that you really wanted to like make the shooting experience as cool as possible. It, it's pretty clear, like you know a lot about weapons, uh, especially like in some of your later mods. We could talk about that too. But did you grow up around guns a lot, or are you just kind of a fanatic from the internet? What's the what's your background? no no? I'm just a gun nut from the internet. Having guns is not really accessible here in Brazil. Like uh, right. they like there's like a lot of trouble. Like there's taxes, for example. Mm -hmm. Uh, the taxes for 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 any guns is like you have to pay literally seven to eighty percent of the the gun in taxes. Like in, for every gun you buy, you need to pay to give back to the state like three or four guns. So if you just want to have a simple shotgun here, that's gonna cost you around three thousand four hundred thousand four four thousand. I mean, pistols are even worse because they're like they have an extra tax because they're a smaller arm and they cost five six thousand dollars reais for for a revolver it's something like uh especially a poor person like me could never afford yeah so no i there's no no real gun culture here in brazil i just but i really take like a lot of admiration for for guns i spend a lot of time checking uh Channels like Forgotten Weapons, where that guy Gun Jesus he explains in very clear detail like the story of the guns and how this gun was made, why it failed, why it succeeded. Like, really fascinates me. Yeah, 
it's like it's weird. Uh, I grew up in a part of America where guns could not be more accessible. Like I knew how to shoot a shotgun before I knew how to tie my shoes. I mean that for real. And so it when you talk about guns, like and you are so savvy. Like it's really when you show off the stuff in your mods, it's like wow, man, he really knows his shit. And I find that interesting because I don't know nearly as much about them as you do. I've, I mean, I'm, like, I'm around them all the time when I was a kid, I learned how to shoot and everything. And I guess they're just not like this coveted, interesting thing to me, you know, like that's a very mm-hmm. normal part of life if you grow up in that part of the world. So that's really mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's impressive the amount of things you can learn on the internet. Like for example, or with uh, simulations, like, there was a case in in the Olympics where a Japanese guy like he'd never shoot a firearm in his entire life. He got like he went to a toy shop and he bought uh, an, an airsoft pistol and he mm-hmm. trained with that air, air, airsoft pistol and then he went to the Olympics and he competed and he won a medal. We <laughs> never it was literally the first time in his life he had he had um, had touched uh, a real firearm in his life. And, it, you know, just sometimes uh, you, you can get really close to the real experience with simulations. Yeah, now you can learn so much just going on YouTube and like learning tutorials. Forget about shooting guns or whatever, but like, you know, skateboarding, that was huge when skateboarding hit the Internet. And then kids that weren't in like, you know, the hub cities could finally learn how to do a kickflip and like understand what these, you know, real guys were doing. And everything, just the ability to share information is absolutely crucial. And for the Doom community, it's been, we've had access to it for much longer than everybody because they were obviously very quick to take up the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's right. So then as you, as you start to kind of gain popularity with this thing, like you have people from id Software playing, you even at some point, John Romero plays Brutal Doom and says like, if we could have made it like this at the time, we would have. And so it's a, it's a lot of early praise for a really young guy at this time it's really really amazing the uh the impact that you were able to create at that at that time in your life so how did that kind of feel what was the wave of just getting showered with amazing you're awesome and all this cool stuff and everything like what was that like um yeah it's like really shocking experience like it's just i you when i when i meet like this kind of stuff i just pause for a second i was like oh wow damn (laughs) i Proceed, uh, proceed to go drink something like the night the night I won the the game the the uh, the S, the X uh, the South by Southwest uh, um, the the best mod mod of the year South South by Southwest uh, prize win uh, Andrew went to the went to to the convention to get the the trophy which by 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 the time I uh, I didn't even know like if he it was going to win. I was running against a really big Skyrim mod, and but I received an invitation for 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 the event. But like I could not really even dream of affording of traveling to to Texas just to get uh, uh, receive a maybe receive a prize, which I had no idea I would receive. I didn't believe I would win against the competition I was facing. So I was like, uh, I received this invitation. Was like to Andrew Holtz, hey man, you you live by uh, close to where this happened. You I have this ticket. Want to go there and shake some hands and meet some some people? Oh, yeah, fine. Sure. He's like, oh, what what if you win? Uh, like I don't think it's gonna win. If, 
Well, if if I win, you just tell them, uh, I don't know, thanks to the Dunk community, remember to say thanks to Kaiser, who made the who created the basis of, of what I used to make Brutal 64. He created the, the absolution conversion, and yeah. that's it, I guess. Then I went out to drink, because I was already happy enough um, that I was, like, nominated to such an event. I was like, oh, wow, I am going to get wasted and celebrate uh-huh. just the fact I was nominated for something like that. And then it was, like, one in the morning, and then Andrew messaged me, hey, man, you won. <laughs> My cell phone just... Fell off of my hand, it crashed in the ground, the screen was destroyed. You know what? I ain't gonna just trash myself. I won. Then I drunk until I had a blackout. It was really <laughs> awesome. It's yeah. like it's simply I that's usually how I react to big events like this, like John Homer played my mod or my mod went to be nominated to a to like a big event. I just really drink myself until I blackout. <laughs> that's what you do when you're that age I guess man it, you cleaned it up with awards you get the CAC award you get the mod DB award all, all that stuff you just like absolutely I can't say it enough like Brutal Doom fucking shook the world of Doom anyway um, like in mod, mod DB's case they already desynthesized it with they even had to remove Brutal Doom for competition because it's unfair to other mods it just keeps repeating repeating they just had to remove it because it's not fair they need to give the opportunity to other people. At this point, it just like synthesize it. You, you mean, you know? I was, we just go ahead and assume. You know, we'll we'll assume number one, and we're gonna award number two from from now on. I guess that makes sense. But I don't know. People are gonna have their own opinions. But it, it, at this point, you are really, I, I guess, taking in a whole lot of external, you know, praise. And I'm sure you get some feedback negatively too. It's not all good feedback. Yeah, I'm a controversial person. Yeah, well, that, there's no doubt about that, and we can we can dive as deep into that as you want to. But you do end up you know, with with some really interesting uh, shit going down uh, between you and uh, some various forums and everything. So can, I want you to just tell it in your own words. I don't want to like assign any blame or in any way like I, I don't want this whole discussion to be about what you did what 10 years ago you know shit that you said or stupid crap that you did but it's up to you at this point um yeah sure you can talk about this okay um so well there was this thing um you know i was not um i am i was um raised in brazil i'm not a native speaker and i i learned literally learned speaking english with the internet Mm -hmm. and uh my favorite social uh, media when I was a teenager was 4chan. And you imagine <laughs> that it would have some influence to me. And when I was into making uh, the first version of Brutal I was using a WOD version. Uh, uh, it, the difference between a WOD and the, the, the current method, the picky treats, because back in the day, the, the WOD you had to, to keep all the code of the game in all everything in one single file. It was like a huge uh, with thousands, tens of thousands of lines, one single file. And for example, when I had to search for plasma, I would like I would use Ctrl F and look for the keyword plasma. I would need to look for every interaction that plasma is used, like even the monsters that have like. Uh, they die and they cause plasma particles to come from them. They, 
I need to keep scrolling for hours and hours and hours. Uh, too much time wasted. Like every time I wanted to change something, I had to to hit Ctrl F and search for like 30 different results going. You know, I was wasting a lot of time of this. So I started writing gibberish. I started writing jokes on this. One of them was a racist joke. And people, like, inevitably, they one day they found about it and wanted to to question me about it. It was like, oh, okay, sorry, I'm going to remove this. It was like just uh, an inside joke. And, and But people just don't want to forget it. They want to keep bringing this up. They want to... Uh, they they go to such an extent that one time I was like reading the history of the the the, the I think yeah the Doomwick I think it's still there like in the Doomwick you can see the editing story at some point somebody claimed that I am a neo Nazi and I am the leader of a neo Nazi gang in Brazil. <laughs> I've um, seen all, uh, I've seen all of this stuff by the way like every, everything there is to read about you probably seen a neo Nazi gang called. Each, like Huey, like the Brazilian love, Huey each rage uh, that plans to implement national socialism in Brazil. And I was like, dude, all these people come with this kind of stuff. <laughs> it's just, it's so over the top that it's ridiculous. Then there was the case which uh, they say I caused the kid to commit suicide, which was not that, was. It was the case. There was this guy that he he used to keep uh, posting um, he, he copy pasta kind kinds of texts like all the uh, like almost every day he would go on and post like huge walls of this like oh I am a musician and I am I have a higher IQ and I wonder why musicians are, like really lots of gibberish. And then he come here and posted this depression uh, letter about his life that also sounded a lot like a control pasta. And I said, oh, well, then just do yourself. Just finish things off. And I, I said, like, in a joking manner, well, well, that, that's what you want. And then people were, Mark, how can you tell a depressed person to, <laughs> to commit suicide? And I was like, oh, well, this guy, you see, this guy has a lot of problems in his life. So I'm just giving him the final solution for his life. And then people say, well, but you just you make another joke over it. And people started freaking out. It was like, at no point, it seemed serious. And... Even the moderator, uh, Wild Weasel, when he closed the the topic, his last words was say, "Well, why don't you just take your your depressive test to a place where people would care about it, like Twitter or Tumblr?" Then he closed the thread, and uh, it was obvious that not even him was really taking that serious. It was obvious just some somebody with doing some control pasta, which. And in fact, this guy also showed up later in other dates, several months. He was still seen there doing this kind of stuff, uh, this kind of long-ass uh, threads. And, but people really are convinced that not only I told somebody to, to really commit suicide, I also told a kid to commit suicide. And some people exaggerate the point of saying, I caused it. A a kid, a child to commit suicide. And I just dismissed him, dude, you must be jealous of me. Like, there's no other explanation. Why would 
go on around making this kind of stories and exaggerating things just to destroy me, just trying to bring me down. I, there's no other way I can sum this up. It's very common. I mean, this is just like the culture we live in now where people are looking to kind of take you down, even if it's not a jealousy thing, if it's just a, it's just like they make sport of trying to take people down. That's all it is. It happens every day in America. Every time someone tweets anything that could be even remotely misinterpreted, it gets taken out of context and it becomes a big thing. Uh, the way you explain it, I mean, like, I guess the, the real question is like, would you do the same thing today if it happened? Uh, no, 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 I won't. And I like, I had depression before. I have a lot of friends that have friends that have depression. I have a friend that's like, is really having into cocaine and, and I try to help him. There are already people I tried to help. I, I was doing this joke because it all seemed like a comical situation. It yes. looked like a joke. So I did the joke. I would never really tell a person, oh man, I'm depressed, and then just kill yourself. I would never do that sincerely, like wishing that. And, you know, uh, what really makes me furious about this whole situation is that nobody says anything about White Weasel, because he also already did a joke on this subject, and how the Zidum Forum's people uh, deleted the the thread instead of preserving the evidence. Like, if you want, you really want to destroy me, then preserve the evidence of what I said. But no, they deleted the thread, which also erased uh, uh, what White Weasel said, so nobody can, can see what he, what he said, nobody can analyze what happened, so people can just share the screenshots without having the actual source material and say that I was telling people to kill themselves. This is what really pisses me off. This is what, let's do a thought experiment here for, for my purposes. I am an unbiased third party here. I really, I wasn't around. I didn't see it. I'm just going to take your word at face value and go from there. But to me, this is what proves that it's just being taken out of context is that, first of all, you seem like a really nice guy. I mean, you've carried yourself pretty well since these initial, like this was 10 years ago. And there's no further controversy since then. I get, maybe it's because you got banned or whatever, but the thought experiment is if you were really just this gigantic piece of shit who goes around trying to hurt people all the time, you would, you would first of all, continue to be that way. And second of all, you, let me try to find the words to put into context. You have done so much, um, in the way of art to give to other people for free and at no point and in this whole context do i see any record of anyone saying like okay so sergeant mark four he said some shit to a depressed guy and or whatever no point does anyone say like what's going on with sergeant mark no one says uh is why would he say that is he okay is he depressed is there anything going on with him because people don't just act like that no one goes around being a hateful shit unless they have some real shit going on in their life and you even mentioned that before, like you've gone through bouts of depression. You were in a really bad at the point in time when this happened to you, you were 18 and you were unable to get into the air force. Like you have reasons to be depressed. And so people at no point in time, does anyone care? And then I'm sure you're getting hate mail and people saying awful shit about you. Kill yourself, all this stuff, just horrible fucking shit to you. And no one gives a fuck about what they're saying to you. It's all about blaming you and making you feel bad about something that they can't even really prove that you did or even prove the context of why you did it. Does that make sense to you? Mm, yeah, it makes. And 
thanks for your um, your opinion on this, like um, your your viewpoint. Yeah, I, I just I, I generally assume that there's like, when I looked at this whole situation for the first time, I'm like, he can't possibly be as bad as they're making him out to be. This is obviously, I mean, when you have a wiki page called "Crappy Games and Why This Guy Sucks," it's pretty mm-hmm. clear that they're not being objective. This is not objective journalism. This is just. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think that page. I think there's like a a very obvious tone of humor. Like, uh, well, at least he's not the he's not worse than the Yandere Dev. Like, people <laughs> are obviously that. I don't think that page, for example, is is no offense. That's like obviously some trolling. Like the guys on on Dunwick, uh, on the Zidunwick. I guess I don't remember Dunwick or Zidunwick. Like saying I was a skinhead leading a group of nods called the Witch. <laughs> I, I, on on this case, I really think people are really just joking, just making well, fun. Like, okay, are you Caucasian? Like, uh, uh, I don't know. I, uh, I have black hair. I think that's already disqualifies yeah, me. That disqualifies me as being Aryan. Pro- problem solved. You're not. <laughs> you're not a valid Nazi anyway. Mm-hmm. All right, that's enough of that shit. I'm glad we cleared it up, dude. And I'm really happy to. Uh, be able to kind of present you in a, a better light. I hope I'm sure I know I'm going to get attacked for doing this. I, I'd already accepted that. Like as soon as I said, you know what? I really want to talk to Sergeant Mark. I was like, people are going to shit talk this all up and down, but I'm, I'm here to defend you at least in the regard that first of all, you have the right to free speech as far as mm-hmm. I'm concerned. And second of all, you seem like even if you were a piece of shit, then you seem really nice. Now you seem like you're a decent human. being. Thanks. Right. Uh, so also, uh, hold on. Another thing about the controversies. One of other thing, other things people uh, complains about me is about me being toxic, and that's uh, the only the, the main reason why they banned me from Zidun forums. And there was like plenty of people that would go there, like proposing, trying to troll me, saying, "Oh, brutal Doom makes Doom look like Call of Duty." And you know, dude, like it was like 2011, 2012. I was working on a really, really bad IT tech job. I was just like every day in my life I was really angry, and I would just go, go, wake up angry. I would go, go to work angry. Go, come back home in in a really crowded subway angry. And then I got home and I saw people, um, other mothers, other doom mothers, uh, criticizing me. Saying that the stuff I've been doing for years for free for everyone, it's shit. It looks like Call of Duty. People should not play this. Then I would act aggressively. I I acted aggressively and several times in in the Zidon forums. You can if the the steel brutal don't thread still exists. You you can go there and check it. And for this case, I do not regret because. I don't think people have the right to come come to me and yo know, you know this thing you do for passion for for just for user free time to make it something you like for free it's a piece of shit it looks like off duty it's destroying the don community because everybody asks for their for their maps uh, all your your stupid uh, retarded two level old two, uh, twelve year old fans they keep asking people to make their mods compatible. With um with your mouse, dude, that's not my problem. You solve this with them, not me. Then you you if you come to me insulting me, saying that my mouth looks like a piece of shit, like it looks like off the I will be especially after you had a really bad day, I'm going to take things off on you. I'm going I'm not going to measure my words. People uh, I remember once um 
somebody tried to compare me like say dude you should be more civil you should act like terminus you see uh, the d- dude that made sansara like oh see he's always a nice guy he never insults people dude i'm not terminus i don't want to be him i don't i don't care if people come and respect me they come and talk harshly to me and say oh i'm giving you constructive criticism no calling something shit is not constructive criticism uh, uh, when you give no objective of, of what is wrong, or don't try to give, um, tell like giving, um, you know, help things to get better. Uh, you are not giving a constructive criticism, and I reserve all my right in the world to be rude to you because you are the asshole, not me. So yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't necessarily think that being combative is always the best way to solve that issue, but it makes perfect sense that you would respond that way. And and also, as we said before, it they come at you, they attack you, and then when you respond in a negative way, that's somehow a surprise. And then you you're the one who's in trouble for it, right? It's not the person who came to you saying you're modest shit or in your garbage or anything like that. It's you are it all of a sudden being held responsible for defending yourself, essentially. I'm assuming the way you look at it. So it's weird. Yeah, like- I am not the only person that this happens. Like the entire Doom community is full of these of people with yeah. huge egos attacking each other. It's like you know the um, the creator of I think it's the creator of the GZ Doom Builder, the program. The creator of the program he gave up on on working with it because of how people treated him in the forums, like how people were always complaining, complaining, complaining. At some point, he says, "You know what, I." Give all my, uh, a lot of my free time working on this. You people just complain. Nothing's good enough. You know what? You work on this. I'm done. People simply um, pissed off the creator of a very essential tool. Like these people damaged the entire community as a whole. They literally bullied one a person that made an essential tool for work on Doom mods. They just pissed him off and he just vanished from the community. Now we have the Jizzy Doom fix. Uh, branch uh, that's made by other people because the actual creator of GZ Doom has kicked the community and it was never seen again. Or there was the case where people trying to praise uh, a mod that bro- literally broke GZ Doom that didn't work on GZ Doom, like the Lilith mod. Uh, they started praising that mod just to piss off Grafzal, the creator of the GZ Doom mod. At some point, he said, you know what, If you, I spend all my time working on this, and if you people want to make something proposal just to piss me off, just to break my engine, I'm just going to leave. It's like there's no limits. They're going to to pile off and try to make fun of the person that makes essential tools. It doesn't happen just with me, just my mother. They uh, there's just this world culture on the Zidun community that is uh, there was I remember, you, you have you ever heard of Knidip in Zidun? Yep. There was another case which uh, two of the main creators it, I think it was uh, Tormentor and Ghastly they started a huge fight on the on uh, they were like friends for like 10 years they worked together on Knidip in Zidun and then I think Tormentor was trying to share the sprite of a literally just one sprite of a hanging wire in the the carnival the carnival thread where people just post stuff. And then Gasly came, Oh, you're always like this, taking credit for stuff. They just one for because one sprite they finished like a 
apparently what looks like they had a fight and they they broke up with a friendship for years that's why we never seen shores of Zidun because probably the entire the entire thing got dragged into that argument and people just want to you know what this is not worth it we had enough it's that's that's how things work you know I, I think we could put the nail in the coffin on it, man. Like it, th- there is definitely a, a, at least a, a mental illness uh, that seems to be involved in the group think of, and it's not just the doom community. It's the gaming community at large. It's the online community. It's Reddit. It's, you know, it's everything. People genuinely just seem to want to be angry for some reason. But um, at the end of the day, man, you're, you're, you seem to have matured and everyone in the community hopefully will eventually reach the same place as, as you are, as you know, you give stuff away for free. That's what you guys do. Like the, the best modders in doom, like you, James Paddock, uh, some really amazing mappers like dragonfly, Matt Tropiano, like just legendarily really kind, really nice people who do hours and hours and hours of work on passion projects that they feel really strongly about to give away to people for free. I tried to talk these guys into selling the Adventures of Square. I'm like, you should put it on Steam. You should be making money. And they're like, no, it's part, like I want to give it away for free. It's like a gift. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's enough of that shit. Let's just let's get back to the the good stuff. Yeah. So then, uh, with like 2012, you have like just this absolute data dump of amazing content, which is seemingly like a, a dual thing where it's like a, a good time and a bad time in your life you're amazingly productive you get uh armageddon you get brutal hexing out brutal strife like just the world's blowing up with not just your mod but like new ideas that, that are a result of your mod it it's, it's like a, a new a change in the zeitgeist of the doom modding community at this point so what what kind of got you into that point where you're like able to just put out so much content Mm, I don't know. Like it was, it was at that point. It had became a regular uh, hobby of of mine. I was like, a, I was constantly spending a set of amount of time every day working on, um, specifically working on mods. And I had like, whoa, no, what? What if I transfer this kind of language to to Hexen? Then what? What about if I try this in Strife and? try to modernize these games like that. And then at some point, some other people, uh, other mo- other modders from other modding communities had the same idea, try to transfer this. Um, the same thing I do, did to Brutal Doom to other games, like there was the guy that did Brutal Half-Life, and I think he really did a good job. Like in, I th- think he really captured the, the feeling he was trying to, to make the guns feel better, like everything. And... I think that's it. That's good. It so I guess it wasn't necessarily like a newfound productivity. It was just like you're you're now immersed in the world of doom modding, and you're just doing more stuff in regards to that. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. At some point, like I was enjoying doing. I think most of the time, I enjoy doing this more than actually playing games. Like I usually spend more time doing this than actually playing the games. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of I get the same thing sort of with the with the podcast is like a, I spend so much time talking about games that sometimes I don't really have the time to play all the games that I want to play and I have to kind of find that balance. But even then it's like sometimes it's more interesting. Like it's more fun to talk to someone like you than it would be to like be just 
going through my steam library right now. It, mm-hmm. I'll find time for that later, but this is like a, you know, not an everyday opportunity. So it's really fun to get mm-hmm. to know where things come from. And in your case, to get to create things, you know, actually. Yeah. Like something. yeah. The feeling when you like, you make a zombie man, you, you draw all his surprise, you go through this hard work and, and you go on, on coding it to make it special effects. So when you see everything coming together, it's mm-hmm. orgasmic. You're like, oh, it works. Like it's, there's no other, there's no replacement for on it. It's like a different hobby, completely different from, from gaming. You see the thing you created working. It's unique. It's, it's art. It's beautiful. What were some of the things that kind of stemmed off of Brutal Doom that you maybe enjoyed or like just were interested in seeing them have it? Like Project Brutality, for instance, or any of that stuff? Uh, like, what do you mean? Well, so. What was it like for you to kind of see people take off and continue on with the stuff that you'd created at that point? Well, it was really good. Like, um, I was like in inspiring people, something I would never think I would do in my life. There was just a problem with the project brutality team because there was a problem with uh, confidence and trust, and they ended up taking stuff from Brutal that we did not hold, them, and we had a little fight about it. Mm-hmm. But in general, it's a great, satisfying thing. All the people that made their custom versions of Brutal like uh, the Black Edition, the the Jimmy Edition. There's now another guy on Twitter making. I don't remember. It was Mango, I think Mango, something like that, doing his his own version of Brutal. I think it's really cool. Like, know that I'm inspiring people. Like, especially when I saw the dude making Brutal Half Life. Like, oh man, it's going outside of Doom. It's becoming bigger than Doom. My philosophy of whole of of um, uh, first person shooter gameplay is going to other first person shooters than Brutal Doom. That's really good. So you worked with a uh, Kaiser on Brutal Doom sixty four, right? No, I, I didn't work with him. I based okay. the work of Brutal Doom sixty four on a previous work. Uh, okay. It was the, his first work on Absolution before he started making the X engine. Okay, and. Did you have any like communication at all, or was it just kind of like taking taking the basis of that and then applying the brutal doom mod to his? Mod? No, no, there's no no communication. It was like it was an abandoned project. Uh, uh-huh. Absolution had became uh, he abandoned it. He became an obsolete because uh, he had like the Doom Six Four X, could uh, much perfectly emulate uh, emulate the actual experience of Doom Six Four. We was like, oh man, we can't let this go to waste. So I'm gonna. There was also other people. There was a guy that uh, I don't remember what the name of the guy. It wasn't in the Brutal Doom Six Four credits, but I don't remember his his name. He took Kaiser's maps from Absolution, then he ported to GZ Doom. Then I based my work on Brutal Doom Six Four. Started building from this mod. Okay, and. Uh, that one kind of got a really good response. Is like I was watching actually. I think G Man did a an review of it pretty early on. But so you you pretty much covered all the bases at this point. You have like brutal hexen, brutal strife, and you do brutal uh, sixty four. You you weren't involved in the Her- brutal heretic, were you? Or was that? No, no, that's another person's okay. thing. Okay, but yeah, just in general, like the the whole brutal thing, it became like very in vogue. You know, for several years there, to just like turn everything brutal. We're gonna turn all of our games into brutal. I can't believe there's not like, you know, we're gonna have brutal Mario now and brutal like everything. Yeah. 
but no, it's, it's really fucking awesome to see how that happened. And then uh, as it continues to grow, one of the, one of the coolest things that came out of it for me was like playing it on maps that it was actually intended for. That's always an issue with uh, these really cool gameplay mods is finding it, finding the map packs that they pair with uh, hell on earth starter pack. What was that project like for you? Uh, that's a long story. It first started like, um, um, it started as, uh, I wanted to do the same thing I did to Brudon to, uh, Brudon's gameplay. I wanted to do to the maps of Doom. I wanted to make them look more modern. Right. So I started making some remakes of some maps like Downtown, um, uh, Suburbs, some Doom 2 maps. Especially Sandy Patterson maps because people hate this map. So well, let's try to remake this map, but make it look like an actual city and stuff like that. It went uh, growing up until I I started like mixing with my own ideas and was like, okay, this is going to be well. I guess you you can still call uh, the starter pack now extermination day. The same thing Rudaldun did for the gameplay, but for the maps. It's a reimagination for both the the first Doom and Doom 2 together in a single megawatt as a more modern thing, taking advantages of the new stuff of the new engines, like uh, no color restriction, real 3D floors, realistic scenarios, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think it did the same thing for Rudaldun, but for Doom maps. Definitely. It it was just so comfortable to finally like, you know, it, this is meant for this and it recreates that, that the same kind of Doom 2 experience that we all kind of remember. But, you know, as you said, with all the modern effects and one of the coolest things about it is like the, the way that the enemies work. You're actually this is something I wanted to make a note of is that you are really, really good at making people understand what it is you're doing. You know, so like when you post, here's like some gameplay or here's a, you know, the enemy and you can see that this is what I've done with it. I'm going to show you how I programmed you blowing their arm off and all this kind of thing and, and really articulating that and making it accessible to people who probably don't really understand the process of, you know, <laughs> modding and creating things. So that's really cool that you do that. Um, and it comes across really well on your YouTube channel, on your Twitter. And that's probably one of my favorite pages to follow is just you, when you post up on Twitter, again, you, you really do a great job of making – your audience feel included in the development process. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, as you said, it's part of the, the, the process is the gratification of see, Oh, this works. It's great. And I want to share this. I want to look at what it done. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a moment you want to share when you finally get something working. It's, it's a great thing. Like it's amazing. I can explain. A really great example of that was when you were initially kind of putting out content, in regards to Viet Doom and you're showing off, you know, like the, the enemies and the different vehicles and the fire technique or the, you know, the fire effects and everything, uh, the different guns that you put into it, or, I mean, just the level of detail and the level of uh, thought that you were able to convey at that time really made it even more exciting looking forward to it coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, what was the inspiration for Viet Doom? Are you a big Apocalypse Now fan, or uh, especially Platon? I think Platon is okay. is, is you know, I like it, Apocalypse Now, but I think Platon is the ultimate Vietnam movie. It's like 
when I was a kid, I enjoyed watching Vietnam movies like Platon and Apocalypse mm-hmm. Now, Full Metal Jacket. It scared me, like especially Full Metal Jacket. It scared me the shit of hell of of how the army was supposed to be. But then I learned that you know it was the United States Army during the Vietnam War. It was completely different. Things are not like that. But anyway, I was a big fan of um these kinds of uh stuff and not not only vietnam war itself but uh also things that uh were inspired by the vietnam war like aliens yeah uh, yeah I, I don't know if you ever heard of this but literally aliens is literally uh vietnam war it's a huge allegory to the vietnam war mm-hmm. and I just like this kind of stuff in general, and then I someday I played the game Nan, which is that total conversion for Duke Nukem 3D that they mm-hmm. side sell game, but like it's not real, really a really impressive game. But I like the concept of making the Vietnam War as a as a first person shooter, a retro first person shooter. I always had a thing uh, like some kind of admiration for jungles in in pixel art form as a hetero mm-hmm. style of art i don't know because i played games of this setting like when i was a kid like maybe like because of sonic tree or gex or stuff like that i just whenever i saw like trees and waterfalls and stuff like that pixelated was like how oh, a small niche i had like oh this is really satisfying to look at i always had this kind of admiration for hetero forests yeah. then i like i always wanted to Oh man, like Nan, imagine if Nan was properly done. Like, if we had Nan, but like, you know, put some effort in it, not just a reskin of Duke Nukem 3D. And when I had this idea for several years, then there was a point when I made a, a big jungle map that didn't work too well. I made a, a map called Knee Deep in the Jungle, and it, was not, it didn't really work too well. But then I, at some point I just abandoned this idea. Then Rising Storm Vietnam came out. I I really enjoy playing this game sometimes. Like I, I play this almost like one hour a day, every day. And it's like real relaxing and therapeutic. Like I love literally everything about it, especially the soundtrack. Uh the soundtrack um Lenny Moore composed for it, like the way he nailed it. Looks, looks like some kind of deep purple with black sab and some depressive guitars with some psychedelic stuff. And that soundtrack alone basically was no, I must make a Doom mod and put this soundtrack in the game, like um, a Vietnam Doom mod and put this soundtrack in the game. And at one day, some night during, um, during the middle of the last year, I woke up in the night and was like, Man, it was like three in the morning, and I was like, "Man, I should look for tutorials. I want to learn how to do pixel art from scratch, how to draw yeah. trees and stuff like that." And I had this epiphany and started making trees. Of, oh, you know what? Now I'm gonna make this. Viet-. It was right after Brutal Doom version 21 was released. I had no main project. I was like, "Oh no, no, I'm going to to make this Vietnam War mod," and that's what how I started making Viet Doom because for my game Brutal Fate. Uh, which I only decided to to really start the project this year, but I always wanted to make a jungle section in one part of the game, and this was the perfect opportunity to to test um, how it would work a jungle in the Doom engine. It's like a sector-based engine 
the engine simply doesn't like uh, this engine simply abhors big open space with lots of stuff on it yeah. like how can I make a jungle work in the dual engine without making a leg like something that my old i3 can keep all, always at 120 frames per second and that's how I started and I keep adding adding it and then I started becoming obsessed again with the Vietnam War reading all articles about it. Sometimes I go on Facebook groups. I like following lots of uh, history groups, and I see people complain uh, the, whenever there's like news, uh, an article about the Vietnam War, and they see a boomer phone. Oh, but we could have won the war. It wasn't for these hippies in Washington. And then I, I started discussing with them, like, no, the Viet Minh Trail, you, you never know what the Ho Chi Minh Trail was like. The Cushy tunnels were so much bigger than imagine. I became really obsessed with the Vietnam War, and it's kind of an allegory to the way you were talking about guns earlier. But yeah, it's, it, you are so like into this stuff that you probably know more about Vietnam than most Americans who like whose grandparents served in the war. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was really cool about this uh, this mod in particular is you're always pushing the boundaries of what can be done with the GZ Doom engine, and in, in the case of Viet Doom, again, the, like the not just the enemy AI and not just the, the vehicles. I mean, you have the helicopter part that you know it doesn't seem like he can be recreated in Zandronum, but whatever. And then you have the uh, the te- your your own partner's AI too. You're like directing them around and they're following you and everything, and it. This is an interesting gameplay mod for me because it's not like Doom in that you're kind of feel like this invulnerable god all the time. It really does make you feel like fuck, I'm in war. Like you could get mortared at any time and you're just dead, wiped off the planet. So, yeah, how did you uh, come up with all the ideas for this? Like just every little bit of the stuff that you've done, did you get the idea or are you inspired by other mods or did you just kind of think it up in your head and like, you know what, I'm just going to, you know, make all these different, uh, you know, Soviet era uh, war vehicles and, and tanks and stuff. It was like, uh, I was uh, actually many ideas from Vietnam um, are started way before Vietnam itself, like the vehicles, for example. I started working with vehicles in 2015 for Extermination Day because I was influenced by Halo. Like, I liked the vehicle sections of Halo. And there was going to be this city, the. The, that level that takes place in downtown LA in Extermination Day, which, by the way, it's an actual replica of downtown LA. You use go, uh, go, Google Street View to try to make a replica of downtown LA. And in this part, I wanted you to be able to have the option to drive a tank and fight a big hordes of enemies because, like, um, you know, Earth is fighting back against... It's not a post-apocalypse mod. It's an apocalypse mod. Things are happening right now. It's not didn't happen. Things are happening right now. And obviously, you would have the army and and tanks and stuff like that fighting the demons. And I had like this experience with Halo, and I wanted to bring something similar to Doom. That's where I developed the vehicles. And then, well, it's if this is a war mod, it must have tanks. I must start porting them. Then I started doing research about what the vehicles were like in Vietnam, the tanks, and and I learned like about all the vehicles they had. Like I was like specially uh, 
amazed by the M50 Ontos, which is like an infantry fighting vehicle, like an anti-tank thing mm-hmm. with these ridiculous six guns and fixed turrets. I was like, oh, dude, they must put this in the game. This looks absolutely awesome. Uh, just in case you're wondering, like I went through the Wikipedia article of the list of weapons and vehicles used in the Vietnam War, and I read that article about 40 times. Each weapon, each vehicle, everything I know, yeah. literally everything that was in the Vietnam War. And when I saw like the Ontos was, and then the Patton, the M48 Patton, I said, no, I must add this to the game. It would be awesome if this can show up in the game. And for this is an example of how the text uh, now, for example, the mechanics of the buildings being destroyed. I also experimented with this before in in extermination day. There are some levels which you can destroy walls and stuff like that. But yeah. the first on the first test versions of Viet Dung, uh it was a more traditional architecture uh, using sectors to make the buildings. But it was like, nah, man, this looks ugly. What if, if I try to make this house like realistic, like use three D models to make realistic uh, ceilings and make them destroyable? And one thing, uh, you know, they they drag another. One thing drags another. It's so cool, man. I I really can't express to you how like excited I remember. Uh, I was at work, you know, just sitting there, and I had YouTube pulled up, and I was like watching all of the videos over again the day before you were going to release the pact, you know, the, the early stages of it to be played. And it was just like an event for me. Like, and my friends we were just like, super fuck. Yeah, dude. Viet Doom's coming out. Like it, it's so cool, man. Like that's such a cool gameplay mod. And it's it, all the levels and everything are super cool. I love the, the humor, even that you kind of throw in there, like hot dog Hill. It's so cool. Can't say it enough, dude. <laughs> nice. dude. It's really cool. Better. Do I hear that? Yeah. Before we talk about uh, the, the the new project, I do want to get into some of the stuff that went on with you and your commentary about Doom 2016 and Doom Eternal. I know you had a, a little bit of a weird experience with uh, a recent interview, so I just want to give you the floor to kind of discuss that. Oh, yeah. So I had this interview with this guy, not going to say his name or who, who the interview was for. It was about a game developing uh, YouTube channel. Which he, the, this guy, he interviews um, several game developers, and he wanted to make an interview about the the process of uh, making Brodun and and Vietdun. I gave him like a one and a half hour interview. I went through like really, it was like a technical. It was uh, he he interviewed um, developers, and he which he he got like really technical. Uh, information of how things are done, how things are inspiring you know, on these games, and I gave him like a very long interview of I was explaining him things like how the headshot system works in Brutal Doom because there's a fake hitbox over the main hitbox of the of the of the monster, and then you shoot it, it explodes and causes damage to the monster. How the walls and the buildings, the destroyable buildings in Viet Doom works like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like really technical stuff. And then at some point of the conversation, we had uh, a talk about what are my opinions about Doom 2016 and my opinions of like what I was expecting of Doom Eternal. It was like a five-minute conversation. I gave him my, my opinions on it. And then 
Um, that's it. He went radio silent for three months about it. Just on the day we, he, re he released the interview, it caused like um, he decided to change entirely the subject of the interview. He deleted everything I talked about. Uh, mode development. He shortened it to a ten-minute interview, which started like in a in a in a mocking tone of uh, like a, I was like, oh, why the creator of Bruno don't want to play Doom Eternal? I'm like, what? <laughs> when did they say this? It was like I I think the, that's what what I said in that video. I said, well, the Doom games are cool, but I don't think they're cool as cool as the. The the classic Doom games, I don't really enjoy the direction they took of making the Doom Slayers a god. I like it more when he was just a, a uh, space marine and he he survived not because he's the chosen one, he's a god because he's a badass and he can survive when all others around him fails. Like it was like something inspirational thing, and I didn't like the direction they're taking the series. But I say. And the Doom 16 in itself is a looks like a it is it does look is a good game on itself. And well, Doom Eternal, like I was not really happy. I was gladly surprised that Doom Eternal is far superior to Doom 16. But by the trailers, I was not really motivated to like. Okay, when when it comes out, I'm gonna play it. And he tried to edit in, in a sarcastic tone, like. Oh, why the creator of Bruto Doom won't play Doom Eternal? And using a thumbnail trying to mock me, and lots of people tr uh, started piling up on the video, calling me arrogant, calling assholes. Who cares what uh, Sergeant Mark IV cares, uh, what he thinks about Doom 16 and Doom Eternal? And it was like, dude, wasn't this supposed to be uh, an interview about my mods? I thought this thing was going to be something you would put in the final of the video, in the ending of the video. Like, oh, now we, we had this talk about the technical aspects of, of mods. Let's hear Mark's opinion on Doom 16 and stuff like that. And he made the entire video be about this and got being into a problem with lots of people attacking me, coming to Twitter to insult me. And, and I was like, dude, that was really fucked up. I asked the issue take down the video, and, and gladly he just took it down. Well, that's good. At least they did the right thing at the end of the whole deal, but that won't happen here. Mm. But this is a bummer yeah. to hear you got treated like that, man. It's almost like it, it's amazing that you have such a positive attitude because I would be really discouraged by something like that. You know, that's people. it seems like people are never going to forgive you. Mm. <laughs> but Really? Don't care at this point. Yeah, that's good. If you think, if you think I'm like some people say, oh, he's jealous because uh, ID software made a better Doom than his mod. Dude, I don't care. You think whatever you want of me. I just got pissed because I was somebody told me that they were doing an interview about uh, about my mods. I wasted over one hour explaining details in technical details. Everything uh, I did for my mods, and then this person proceeds to throw everything away and try to monetize, make money out of uh, spreading a humor that I am angry at Doom 16 and Doom Eternal. Dude, that just makes no sense. It's really like yeah. why his shoes, like it, it, it was an interview that happened in January, 
and then he waits until it's literally the day before the release of Doom Eternal to publish this and say that I hate Doom Eternal and don't want to play it. And this really pissed me off. Well, yeah, fuck that. Let's forget that shit. <laughs> it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah. anymore. But I am curious, sir, some of your, your ideas and feedback about it. One thing that got brought up a lot, um, not by you, as far as I know, but just in, in general, people in my circles talking was that as we watched, you know, 2016, and especially when we were watching Doom Eternal start to get a lot of uh, hype around it and trailers coming out and everything, it did seem like uh, the id team was taking some influence from the modding community. And one of the big comparisons is like, this looks a lot like brutal doom, like, you know, which is a good thing in my guard. I was like, yeah, that's good. I'm happy to see them take it that route because that's what I want to play. Like brutal doom is one of my favorite things that's ever existed. And that's not, I'm not saying that because I'm here to kiss your ass. Like I genuinely really like it. And so how do you, uh, actually feel about some of the gameplay things. I know that it, one of your criticisms about Doom 2016 was that it, you know, the movement was slow. I feel exactly the same way. Um, but what are some other like technicalities that maybe you could notice that the, a normal layman like myself wouldn't? Uh, things I noticed that were wrong with Doom 16 uh, was how slow and how boring the first the first levels of the game is. Like the okay. The first, the introduction of the the game is one of the most important parts of the game, and the beginning of the, uh, Doom 16 was really slow. We start with that terrible pistol. You get the shotgun. You can only carry 20 shells with it, and it's not very accurate. It's not as bad as the Doom 3 shotgun, but still unrealistically inaccurate. And you can only carry 20 shells. You need to keep changing back to the pistol, you don't get double jumping until the fourth level. And it's like, which is a very fundamental um, right. gameplay mechanic to use the double jumping and they hide it behind uh, upgrades. I did not enjoy it. And I was glad that in Doom Eternal, they fixed this. Uh, you start the game, you are able to, you already start with the shotgun, there's no pistol. It was the best idea they, they ever had to remove the pistol completely. And you already start with the double jump the new mechanic, which is the dash. Uh, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, you don't start with it, but you all get it on the second level, which is a huge upgrade than locking down such a precious resource, that fundamental part of the meat and potatoes of the gameplay too far away they just give you on the second level that's a huge improvement also the fact that in the first level alone you can get the, you get you start with the shotgun you get the chainsaw and then the rifle and then you get the plasma gun it's like really fast you you're already fighting the arachnotrons the amps the you they don't waste time on um on trying to explain new things, you were already introduced to advanced enemies and advanced weaponry really early in the game. And I think that was a great thing that they missed in, in Doom 16. In Classic Doom, you, in the first, basically in the first rule of the game, you already get the shotgun. In the second level, you get the chain gun. It gets really fast. You're, in, really, you're, you're quickly introduced to pink demons and then spectres. You have the zombie man, the, the amps, the shotgunners. It, it doesn't waste your time. It doesn't try to build tension. It, it goes straight to the point. And this is a 
uh, thing I think they, they, they did wrong in Doom 16 and they fixed it in Doom Eternal. Cool. I'm glad we could set the record straight on what you actually think, man. Because I, I just hate stories of like hearing that you were like edited to be misrepresented. Actually, that kind of makes me mad, like from a journalistic point of view. But I'm mm-hmm. glad that we could, let, yeah, give you that opportunity to clear the air. Yeah, man, it's and, like for example, uh, one one people argued with me, like, oh, you you can't have all the cool weapons, all the cool abilities in the beginning of the game. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, there's some fundamental things about the game like imagine um for example uh some 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 things are kind of a part of the core mechanics of the game you cannot postpone it's not like not telling you to give the player the bfg on the first level and saying that you must give the player the meat and potatoes of the game you can't take too long in the exposition of the game it must be some things are sacred to the form of the game. You must right. give the player right away. Imp- These kind of things are important. This is what people uh, misrepresented what he said. People think he said, oh, you should be be given things easily. No, that's not what he said. So since you're the, the, the master, quote-unquote, of making really badass enemy modifications and stuff, how did you feel about the, the enemy design in Doom Eternal? Specifically, uh, like there's the one that everybody has something to say about, but I'll let you say, uh, say it yourself. Which one, the Marauder? Well, yeah, everyone had a, an opinion on the Marauder. I'm not. I like I like the Marauder. His his he has. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, I think he he's a cool enemy to fight. I I have no really big problems with one one big problem I have with the enemy design maybe is. The tyrant, I mean the cyber demon. I think he takes way too long to ever. By the, by the time he shows up, you already have the cross cyber, and you can yeah. just just one shot him. I think it would be cool if he had showed up before the you had the cross cyber, so you're actually forced. And by the time like uh, he showed up, I already had the cross cyber, and you know, and whenever an archivar or cyber demon shows up, I would always use it and never actually fought them. Um, one thing I really hate, I say I really hated about Doom Eternal. One enemy I really hated was the um, the angels thing. I don't remember what's the actual name. The, yeah, yeah. The things that the aliens are supposed to be the angels, because in the Doom Eternal trailer, you there's like that part that says, "Oh, they're not your people to save anymore." You keep continuing on this crusade, and you are gonna feel the wrath of heavens. And then the wrath of heavens is just one father enemy. I was really disappointed with that. Was expecting to fight an entire, an entire family of angel-like enemies, and it's just one this little guy that throws projectiles from his hand, from his head, and he floats around. That was a real letdown. But other than that, I think the hate for the Marauder is. Is undeserved. It is a really. I think it's really fun fighting him. Yeah, it's just a he, divisive. But you know, you're a divisive guy too. So I, can, I wouldn't expect you to criticize it or anything. He's like, I like the Marauder. Okay, now that I've, I hated him. You know, the first two hundred times I fought him, but after that, I've like kind of warmed up on him. Yeah, like he, are, he yeah. has a really basic uh, attack pattern. When you learn it, it becomes easy. You just you clear the level, you kill all the other enemies, leaving him alone. Then you get the super shotgun. You wait for, for him to like to see. You now he's going to attack. His eyes bright green and has this green bright. 
you just stun him with the super shotgun, then you switch back to the rocket launcher and give him a shot to take an extra damage. You repeat this five or six times and you kill him. It's not a really difficult enemy. But I, I like the fact that he's um, an enemy that breaks, like makes you take a break. For, he takes all your attention to him. Like the same way the Archvile does in Classic Doom. Whenever you see an Archvile, all your attention goes to him because he can attack you from... Um, you can run away from his attack if you have no cover. He can if there are enemies in front of you, you must shoot you shoot them, but you can shoot their trial. So all your attention goes to him. And there I think the Marauder does the same um the same purpose on the Eternal. This is why I don't hate him. I think he serves a purpose. Yeah. How did you feel about the uh the way that you can dismantle the enemies and blow them apart limb by limb or, you know, kind of like weaken them by, you know, killing their armor or in the case of the arachnotron, just like the shooting the gun off the top of their head. How did that feel to see? I think I wish it was, um, there was better. Uh, it, it was like, it had a heavier um, implementation of it. I think it's way too basic. Like you have the arachnotron, you can shoot its gun but you can shoot its leg off and slow it down. Or the man cubes, which you can shoot his cannons, but you don't actually deactivate his cannons. He still shoots uh, weaker and and smaller projectiles. And other enemies, it doesn't exist. Like, you can shoot um, a Hell Knight or, um, until he's literally just bones. All his meat is gone. But yeah. you can't you can't you can't cut off his arm and I like I, it would have been for great benefit. It was better implemented. It it's kind of gimmick, you know. It's just only a few enemies use it instead of them, and you you it, it could have been done better. It's like it's cool. It adds an extra layer of combat. Like it forces you to whenever you see an arachnotron, you pull your shotgun to fire the grenade to destroy the cannon or the main cubes, you shot two grenades to shoot his armor, but there was potential to use that in a much more extensive way, and they didn't. The reason I asked you that question was to kind of lead into something that you shared uh, pretty recently on your Twitter page and within your Discord page, but we've seen the uh, the first enemy of Brutal Fate, the Fiend. Mm, and yeah. something that you were specifically uh, showing off was how the dismantling of their limbs takes place and how it, it's a bit different than the way that we saw it in Brutal Doom, where it used to be random and now it's like you're actually programming it to shoot their arms off. So what can you, first of all, what can you tell us about Brutal Fate, if you don't mind? Uh, well, Brutal Fate is like mm, Brutal Doom without Doom. That's how I can describe it. Okay. It's like at some point, people are complaining that I'm making Brutal Doom bloated. I had in way too much features. Many people are stopping to play Brutal because it became bloated. And I can agree. Like it's straying way straying off way too much of what it should see, would be. And you know, at some point I, I was deciding to join the game development thing. I want to make my, my own game. So I had this idea. So my first game is going to be something that I have the complete uh, the complete understanding of, of what I'm going to do. I'm not going to adventure myself into an, an engine that I do not understand or with a kind of gameplay I do not understand. I'm going to use the this Dune engine to do something that I already know, the Brutal Dunes gameplay. 
So I'm going to take away all these ideas that people think they don't fit in Brodom and just move them away to all these drastic changes to gameplay, this extended art and thing, and move it to its own universe, to its own thing. Yeah. So I can finally put Brodom to rest. Like it has been 10 years already. It has it's been overdeveloped. It's looking like and they're a simulator at this point. It's just way too much stuff and I just keep adding and adding and adding stuff with don't really add up to anything. At some point, like, man, I really should move on to something new. And that's how I mix everything of it. I can start my career as a game developer. I can stop uh, bloating, building with stuff that does not belong in them. And I can have the total freedom of doing whatever I want on this game. So that's what is the concept of real fate. I'm making Doom like if Doom never existed. Like I take the basic idea of having like aliens and mixing with supernatural stuff. But instead of trying to copy Doom, I try to follow the same design stuff, like um, like trying to make something. Uh, how can I explain to you? Like. Um, Somewhat, I, I kind of try to replicate the process like Homero and I, I Software did with Doom. They they were approached by by Fox to make an Aliens game, and they were like, nah, fuck this, I want, want to make my own game. So, the well, we already have started working this Aliens thing. What are going to do? Okay, so we're going to mix Aliens with, they look their tabletop game, their, their Dungeons and Dragons, okay, this with Dungeons and Dragons and Evil Dead, whatever. So that's the process I'm using for Brutal Fate. It's like Brutal Doom, but on my own universe. Everything is it's completely its own thing. And you have the basic premise of marine, space marines. Of uh, In this case, they are the, the governance marines of, uh, of um, United Nations-like um, um uh, organization like they're a peacekeeping force. Actually, if I want, if I try to explain all the lore for Brutal Fate, I would be here all night because it like the the game takes place in the year two thousand three hundred and fifty around that. And to understand the story, you need to go back all back to the modern day, then the World War Three, the World War Four, the start of the colonization of space, how the colons were made how Mars was colonized, then they had the Martian Civil War, and how the United Nations had to send an intervention there, and how all the space marines were, were starting, how each, each uh, like all the major moons of like Mars and major moons like Callisto and and Low, Yo, I mean, the, the, the moons of Jupiter, where the game t- takes place. Uh, yeah. Were colonized and what's the social situation of things and all these planets were terraformed and basically um, terraforming the planet costs trillions of dollars and and the corporation that had all the resources to terraform this planet and start a colony there they have a say on how the colonists should be treated uh, but when they go too far and start violating human rights. Then the United Nations sends the Space Marines to solve the situation, but when you go there, like, and it's not, uh, uh, there is no civil war. They're not having problems with the colonists and the, the corporations. There's this unspeakable horror that came out, and I'm not going to spoil way too much things. 
and then that's where how the game goes. You are fighting against interdimensional demons. You are fighting against uh, mercenaries from from the corporation that owns the planet. You are fighting against cyborgs and robots and battle drones, and it mixes the the apocalyptic tone of Doom with a cyberpunkish tone. It's like really huge universe. Like it would take the entire night just to explain all the ideas I have. Well, I won't ask you to. We'll have chances to talk about it more and more as you continue development, man. Uh, but a few just kind of fundamental questions. Like, for, first of all, are you you familiar with uh, Zan and Hedon and all that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. I talked to him uh, during the development of Hedon. Yeah, it's really fun for for me and I'm sure many other fans to kind of see now that you know GZ Doom can function without Niwad from Doom and everything. Uh, seeing you guys actually be able to turn what you've you know all the work and skill that you've asset you know assimilated and created over time, and to probably potentially be able to like you know use that engine to make money and actually give yourself something back for everything that you've done. I'm really excited for that. I actively want to, you know, I want to buy something from you to say thank you, not just for making what will be brutal fate, but for everything that you've done. Like, it's really cool. In his case, it was really fun because he, you know, he was not a game developer. He just jumped right in. Both. (laughs) Yeah, man. And that's the thing about brutal fate. I'm going to put on Steam. I'm going to sell it. Yeah. But I'm also going to upload it part bay. Be like if you think uh, a game made the Doom engine does deserves to be paid, okay, then just pirate it. I don't care. But I mean, as if I can sell, if it can sell well with this game, and the fact that I no longer I will no longer be submissive to that's this community guidelines. I can do whatever I want with my community and my game. I will be able to I don't know make tournaments and pay people's money prize. It, it opens a whole new new level of possibilities. The fact it's not longer a Doom mod; it's its own game, and it re, it's really a game changer. Like, changes things completely. So, are you gonna be fucking around with netcode and making like a proper PvP deathmatch part of this game, or what can you say right now? Well, right now, my main focus of the game is the single player. I want the single player to be good. Yeah. And well, you know, we have this issue that GZ Doom has only um peer to peer multiplayer, it doesn't have client server multiplayer like Zendronum. Mm-hmm. And Zendronum cannot be used commercially, they still don't have the entire engine cleaned up. I think there's some code from the build engine, I don't remember. There's some code there that cannot be uh that does not allow the engine to be used commercially. But I can secure that the the game will be compatible with Zendron. You can add the multiplayer as as not as main part of the game. And yes, I really want this game to have multiplayer like Brutal Doom, Brutal Doom has. I really love playing Brutal Doom's gameplay online with my friends. I mean, my my ex girlfriend. I I literally met her in a Brutal Doom server. It really is important for me that Brutal Doom has multiplayer and brutal fate also should have multiplayer even if it's non-official if you need to install zendronum um, apart if they never end up adding official multiplayer support uh, client server multiplayer support to to gz doom and um i will be like giving 
both the official and non-official support to Brutal Fate. The official support is a single-player experience, and then there's the non-official support, which will be multiplayer maps, deathmatch maps, cooperative maps, survival thing, horde mode, all this kind of stuff. It's going to be really interesting to see, uh, you know, because you just have always kind of pushed the boundaries and pushed the boundaries of what can be done. If this actually ended up getting people to, like, suck it up and make a multiplayer client that works with GZ Doom, that would be really incredible. But I mean, we'll see what happens. And I, I like your backup plan here, too. Just, you know, make it a non-official Zandronum support. That, that'll work either way. But it's just good to know that you're, you're doing this, man. I'm really, really happy that, about the attitude that you're taking towards it. <laughs> no, yes, man. Thanks. Yeah. Well, uh, is there anything else that you want to say before we get out of here? Uh, any shout outs? Are you going to be doing this whole project completely alone or are you going to have level designers or, you know, a team? What's the plan? Uh, initially it's just literally me. I'm making um, the level design, the writing, the world building, the programming, the 3d models, the textures, literally, you know, everything alone. Okay. I am with talks with, uh, a really cool and popular dude about the soundtrack. Maybe he can help with sound design too. But basically, basically, it's literally just me. And by by the time I start selling the game on on Steam early access, maybe I can use the money to hire an extra mapper, maybe to, or an extra mapper or two to help me with with things and speed up the process. Shit, are you taking investors, bro? Like, uh, right now, no. I still have not played anything. I mean, some people have suggested me to do a, a Kickstarter, but I want to try to do that until at least I have like something really substantial to show. Like, I want to have several levels, several completed levels, several completed monsters and weapons working, so I could think about launching a Kickstarter. Show that. There's this product, it's getting done, and it will be done, and, you know, ensure people that this thing is going to happen. Hell yeah. Any uh, any final thoughts, any shout-outs you want to make before we go? No, um, I can't think of anything right now. Okay, well, thank you very much, man. This has been a really, uh, it's been a pleasure to finally get to talk to you, and just on, on a personal level, I'm I'm very happy to know that you're not the demon that you've been playing <laughs> You're such a, you've been so cool and you're invited anytime you want to be on the show, whether that be to talk about Doom or talk about Brutal Fates, updates or anything, you're always welcome here. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Big, huge thank you to Sergeant Mark IV for being on the show. It's fucking awesome. Really glad that I finally got to have that chat because it's been, you know, something that I've wanted to do for a really long time. Like for me personally, cleared off a goal. So cool. Also, want to say thank you to all of our supporters be that people who are patron supporters people who have donated through our paypal link or credit card people who just generally give their time people who have been uh, nitro subscribers on our discord twitch subscribers all that shit man whatever you did you, you know what you did and we appreciate it so it's been a while since i've actually read everybody's name off so we'll try to hit the list really quick Dots, Moose, Paul, Zach, Alexander, Lashaka, Brad, Night Owl, Tones, Jeffrey, Larissa, Nabe, Steve, NBZ, Catman, Semiko, Chibi Sniper, Donkey, VJ, Tijin, Hadoukant, Brandflakes, Muleke, Trarao, and Red Eyes, Green Dragon. You've all been fantastic. Thank you so much, and we love you. 
Anybody out there who wants to support, you can check out the support tab on inthekeep.com. Also find all the other stuff about our stuff going on there, podcasts, tournaments, whatever it is. We love you. Thank you for checking it out, and thank you for being here for this episode. Please keep a positive attitude out there in the world. I know it is tough times, but you can depend on the keep. We will be back next week with another awesome interview. Check out quakefans.net. Tell Smango I sent you. Check out rocketjump.zone. Check out State of Quake. Check out the Multiplayer Doom Federation. And check out the U.S. Quake community. All amazing communities full of amazing people. I hope you dig it. Hope you find a home somewhere within this wide umbrella that we cast. You're amazing. I love you. The Drowned God Katala loves you. And until next time, stay in the keep. <laughs>